everyone, and welcome to the May 16 edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Skarn, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Federal Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals more clearly defined what is required for a finding of MMI status in a longshore case. Here's what happened in the case of SSA Terminals and Homeport Insurance Company versus Carrion. In 1987, Robert Carrion injured his knee while working as a chassis mechanic for Matson Terminals. Carrion returned to his physically demanding job for the next 15 years, but his knee continued to deteriorate. In 2002, he took an early retirement when he could walk only with difficulty because of pain. He filed for benefits in 2008 under the Longshore and Harbor Workers Compensation Act. By that time, he had decades of persistent pain without any actual or expected improvement. But his doctors unanimously concluded that he eventually would require total knee replacement. Thus, even though no surgery was on the horizon, his employer classified the injury as temporary disability. The administrative law judge determined that even though his condition has lasted for a long period of time, his disability was temporary because of the future surgery. The administrative law judge reasoned that his doctors agreed the surgery would likely alleviate his symptoms and thus there is expected medical improvement after the knee replacement. And Karyan cross-appealed the administrative law judge's finding that his disability was temporary. And the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals reversed and found Carrion to be permanently disabled in the published case. The question is whether, after such a protracted period of disability, the prospect of a hypothetical future surgery and its anticipated benefits can transform an otherwise permanent disability into a temporary one for purposes of the Longshore Act. The Longshore Act creates two independent areas of analysis. One, assessing the nature or duration, being temporary versus permanent, and the other, the degree of disability, which is partial versus total. Four separate disability categories stem from this framework. Permanent total disability, temporary total disability, permanent partial disability, and temporary partial disability. Two of these qualifiers, permanent and temporary, go to the nature of the disability. The Longshore Act does not define temporary or permanent, although the classification issue arises on a continuing basis. Courts have held that a disability is temporary so long as there is a possibility or likelihood of improvement through normal and natural healing. A disability may become permanent if a claimant reaches a maximum medical improvement, the point at which the injury has healed to the full extent possible. And normal and natural healing is no longer likely. Or the condition has continued for a lengthy period and it appears to be of lasting or indefinite duration. The term permanent is not tantamount to eternal or everlasting, and does not foreclose the possibility that the condition may change. The Ninth Circuit concluded that evaluating an individual's condition based upon the presumed effect of a theoretical future treatment makes scant sense.
And now our crime report. Two Southern California doctors have been convicted after a two-week jury trial in Los Angeles. Both were found guilty of health care fraud for falsely certifying that Medicare patients were terminally ill and qualified for hospice care. The vast majority of them were not actually dying. That was the scheme related to the Covina-based California Hospice Care, or CHC. CHC submitted about $9 million in fraudulent bills to Medicare and Medi-Cal for hospice-related services. Srai Wijagunartana, known as Dr. J of Anaheim, was found guilty of seven counts, and Boyao Huang of Pasadena was found guilty of four counts of healthcare fraud. The two are scheduled to be sentenced on August 15. Each will face a statutory maximum sentence of 10 years in federal prison for each count. A number of patients testified at trial that they did not require end-of-life care. In fact, only a small percentage of the patients later died. But the two doctors declared that they needed hospice care. Four other defendants named in a federal grand jury indictment in 2014 have pleaded guilty and are pending sentencing. One of the indicted defendants have been accepted into a diversion program. The defendants paid patient recruiters known as marketers or cappers to bring Medicare and Medi-Cal beneficiaries into the clinic. CHC nurses performed assessments to determine whether the beneficiaries were terminally ill and Regardless of the outcome, the two doctors certified that the beneficiaries were terminally ill, even though the vast majority of them were not dying. CHC personnel altered Medi-Cal records in response to Medicare audits to make the beneficiaries appear sicker. A Southern California disc jockey faces jail time for forging a certificate of insurance. 33-year-old Carlos Rojas of Huntington Beach surrendered to the Los Angeles Police Department on a warrant obtained by the California Department of Insurance, and he is facing a felony forgery charge. Rojas runs a business known as A-List Entertainment. He allegedly submitted a fraudulent certificate of liability insurance to the nightclub Avalon Hollywood, where he hosted a college nightclub. During the event, a fight ensued that led to the injury of the performing disc jockey. The injured disc jockey attempted to file a workers' compensation claim against the Avalon Hollywood nightclub. But an investigation by both the insurance company and the California Department of Insurance revealed that Rojas allegedly provided the nightclub with a forged certificate of insurance. The injured DJ then attempted to file a claim against the nightclub. At this point, the DJ only has the option of pursuing his claim through the California Uninsured Employers Benefit Trust Fund. This case is being prosecuted by the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office. And in regulatory news, the DWC has added an easy-to-use search tool to review IMR determinations quickly and efficiently. The IMR search tool is available on the DWC website. Over 300,000 IMR cases have been decided since the medical dispute resolution process was implemented in 2013. Following a determination by a physician reviewer, information for each case is posted to the DWC website. The public can use the new tool to search for decisions by case number, 
date of injury, specialty of reviewer, or category of treatment. Each IMR case pertains to one or more requested treatments that were denied, delayed, or modified following utilization review. The IMR's reviewers use evidence-based guidelines to determine whether to uphold or overturn the UR decision. The rationale for a reviewer's decision is provided in the IMR final determination letter. Maximus Federal Services is the current independent medical review organization contracted by the DWC to conduct IMRs. Maximus is a publicly traded for-profit corporation that receives government contracts, and Maximus seems to be doing quite well. For the second quarter of 2016, Maximus revenue increased 26% to nearly $607 million. The company expects annual revenues to range between $2.4 billion and $2.5 billion for fiscal 2016. A bipartisan proposed federal law is aimed to help children born dependent on opioids. In an extremely rare unanimous vote, the U.S. House of Representatives passed this legislation. A similar bill is pending in the U.S. Senate. It is one of more than a dozen new measures that are aimed at addressing a U.S. epidemic of addiction to pain pills and cheap heroin. The legislation came in response to a Reuters investigation last year entitled Helpless and Hooked, which revealed that at least 110 babies had died since 2010 after being born dependent or exposed to opioids. The Infant Plan of Safe Care Improvement Act requires that states enact guidelines for the welfare of children exposed to opioids. The category of opioids includes a variety of pain medications or other drugs, such as heroin. Officials say every 25 minutes in America, a baby is born suffering from opioid withdrawal, and more than 130,000 newborns were diagnosed with drug withdrawal over the last decade. But only nine of the 50 states followed a prior federal law requiring them to track and help those newborns. In April, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services asked all states to report on their compliance with existing law by the end of June. The House also adopted a bill designed to help states emulate a pilot program for drug-affected newborns in Huntington, West Virginia. The Huntington facility is known as Lily's Place. The DWC announced the appointment of Dr. Raymond Meister to the position of Executive Medical Director, and the DWC Acting Administrative Director George Parasato said that the medical unit is central to the DWC's mission to minimize the adverse impact of work-related injuries. The Executive Medical Director manages all medical and health-related programs in the DWC and will provide policy guidance for the division and develop education and training for treating physicians. In addition, the Medical Director oversees provider networks and research plans related to medical care and represents the DWC on matters related to medical and health issues in workers' compensation. Dr. Meister has served as Associate Medical Director for the DWC since 2014. 
Prior to joining the DWC, Dr. Meister served as public health medical officer at the California Department of Public Health from 2000 to 2014. Dr. Meister earned a Master of Public Health degree from the University of California, Berkeley School of Public Health and a Doctor of Medicine degree from the University of Southern California School of Medicine. He has been an Associate Clinical Professor at the University of California, San Francisco since 2009. And the DIR and the Commission on Health and Safety and Workers' Compensation announced the reappointment of Martin Brady to the Commission. He has, had, he has served since 2012 as the public employer representative. Cheswick commissioners are appointed by the governor and the legislature. Two of the employer members and two of the labor members of the commission are appointed by the governor. Brady has been executive director at the school's insurance authority since 1997, where he was a risk management and prevention manager from 1988 to 1997. He is director of the California Association of Joint Powers Authority and the California Coalition on Workers' Compensation. He earned a Master's of Arts degree in physical education from California State University, Fresno. Cheswick is a joint labor management body created by the Workers' Compensation Reform Legislation of 1993. Cheswick is charged with examining the health and safety of workers' compensation systems in California and recommending administrative or legislative modifications to improve their operation. And in medical news, officials now claim that fentanyl is the deadly new heroin. And for that reason, America's addiction to opioid-based painkillers and heroin just got exponentially more dangerous. Fentanyl is the most potent painkiller on the market prescribed by doctors for cancer treatment. It is now being made illicitly and sold on the streets, delivering a super high and far too often death. Fentanyl has been around since the 1960s. Its potency works miracles, soothing extreme pain in cancer patients who are usually prescribed patches or lozenges. But an illicit version of the drug is flooding into communities across America and casual users are finding out that their fentanyl pills and powder are delivering a powerful high that is easy to overdose. It can even kill. The DEA and the CDC say we have another national health crisis on our hands. Fentanyl is 50 to 100 times more important than morphine. Most cases of fentanyl-related morbidity and mortality have been linked to illicitly manufactured fentanyl sold for its heroin-like effect. It is often mixed with heroin or cocaine as a combination product with or without the user's knowledge to increase its euphoric effects. The latest state statistics on fentanyl-related deaths compiled by the CDC tell a sobering story. It first showed up in deadly doses on the streets in 2007. The DEA traced the illicit fentanyl to a single lab in Mexico and shut it down. Fentanyl drug seizures subsided for a while, but in 2014 they spiked in 10 states. Since then, it has been an uphill battle. Americans are buying it in record numbers 
and highly organized drug cartels are spreading it in far and wide places. Its street nickname is China White or China Girl, offering a hint at where most of it is coming from. Illicit fentanyl is a bestseller on the streets and a prolific killer. It is so potent that when law enforcement goes in to seize it, officers have to wear level A hazmat suits, the highest level protection level made. This is the same kind of suits healthcare workers use to avoid contamination by the deadly Ebola virus. An amount the size of a few grains of sand of fentanyl can kill you and all you have to do is touch it. It can be absorbed through the skin and the eyes. And the other opioids commonly sold on the streets, heroin, hydrocodone, oxycontin, and narco, cannot even touch fentanyl as far as profits go. Hydrocodone sells for about $30 a pill on the street. A fentanyl pill may look and cost the same, but requires only a fraction of the narcotic to give users an even stronger reaction. Fentanyl is often trafficked through the cartel's standard maze of routes through Mexico and into the U.S., but sometimes it's simply ordered on the notorious dark internet web and shows up straight from China in the buyer's mailbox. And the counterfeit pills look like the ones sold by pharmaceutical companies. A new medical study says inefficient prescribing wastes billions of dollars. In just two years, nearly $73 billion was spent in the U.S. on brand name medications instead of less expensive alternatives. And patients are bearing a disproportionate amount of the costs of these inefficiencies in prescribing. One way to make prescribing more efficient is to order less expensive generic drugs to take the place of brand name medications. For example, instead of prescribing AstraZeneca's Crestor, a statin drug for lowering high cholesterol, doctors might prescribe Rosuvastatin, which is the less expensive generic form of Crestor. Another less widely accepted approach is known as therapeutic substitution. With therapeutic substitution, the patient would still receive a statin drug, but maybe not the same one he was taking before. He might receive a Torvastatin, for example, which is the generic form of Pfizer's Lipitor. Or he might receive Zimvastatin, the generic form of Merck's Zocor. The patient would receive the least expensive drug in the same class of medications. To see how much could possibly be saved with therapeutic substitutions, researchers at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor analyzed two years of data on nearly 108,000 medication users. And the results were reported in the Journal of the American Medical Association, Internal Medicine. Of the $760 billion spent on prescription drugs during the study, about $73 billion may have been unnecessarily spent. The key to moving towards therapeutic substitution is to coordinate with doctors. It might be the case that a patient needs to take a specific generic drug for a specific reason. Thus, 
we need wider adoption of systematic protocols aligned with physician judgment as to when such substitutions are beneficial and when not. It will take a lot of different interventions at different levels to overcome reluctance to implement therapeutic substitution. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news. Thank you.